Hello and welcome everyone to another edition of The Power Current, hosted by me, Chris Berry. I've spent the last 12 years of my career focused on helping companies and investors sort throughout the opportunities and threats that emerge when commodity economics and finance, geopolitics, and technology collide, as is happening more and more frequently across the globe today. I wanted to get on the other side of the microphone and speak to practitioners and experts across these realms to help us all get a better understanding of what is happening across an increasingly dynamic supply chain. I'm very aware that the most valuable asset we all have is time, aside from perhaps health. And to that end, if you have any comments, suggestions for guests or ideas to make this podcast even more value added, please DM me on Twitter at at cberry1 or shoot me an email on my website at discoveryinvesting.com. Today, the podcast goes international to Sweden for a discussion with Eden Yates and William Berg, Chief Marketing Officer and Chief Executive Officer, respectively, of Kling, a startup focused on building a trading platform for used electric vehicle batteries. I can tell you from my experience in recycling that the OEMs in particular are worried about how to handle EV batteries in the case of recalls or end-of-life decisions, and Kling aims to add transparency to the market by making it easier for players in the battery market to easily transact. By the end of this podcast, you will understand the ecosystem of how lithium-ion batteries are traded and move around the world, understand different business models associated with lithium-ion batteries, including Second Life and Recycling, and hear the views on the markets of two seasoned entrepreneurs in the battery sector. Without further ado, please enjoy this episode. William and Eden, welcome to the podcast. How are you guys doing? We're doing really well. Thank you. Thank you so much for, for having us. Yeah, thank you, Chris. It's great to talk to the voice of reason. <laughs> oh, thank you very much. I guess my reputation precedes yeah. me. I appreciate that. Yeah. Um, you know, just to sort of jump in here, William, you and I met a few months ago uh, in southern Germany, thanks to Riley Brennan over at Trucks Venture Capital. And so uh, it's been really interesting, actually, to, to get to know you a little bit better and, and understand the business. And that's really the point of the, the podcast today is to give you guys an opportunity to tell us a little bit about how you're approaching the battery business, how you're approaching kind of the second life and and really what Kling, which is your your company, is all about. So, you know, rather than sort of listening to me and, and drone on and on here, tell us each a little bit, you know, William and Eden, about your backgrounds, where you came from and kind of how Kling, the company, came to be and, and why you decided to build it. Sure. Um, yeah, again, very nice to be here. Um, and it was a sunny day. We met in, in southern Germany, so it was pretty great looking back um Beautiful. yeah my, my background is as a mechanical engineer i did my master's towards uh, energy uh, energy systems um and my passion was back then on renewables solar and wind to see how can we really transition those in and became quite obvious early on that batteries are necessary for doing that and you also see their immediate need in the entire mobility space um i found my way into northvolt um, in 2019 on their battery pack design part, um, looking on how to design for recycling, working on the green design guidelines and looking what materials to use. How can we put nuts and bolts and stuff together so it's easy to take apart and recycle? Um, it's just for, just for a couple of months. And then 
it led to my master thesis at Northvolt once again. Now, this time in uh, on the recycling side at Revolt, um, looking at how do we, uh, how do they um, get the batteries to recycling? Where are they? How do how do you collect them? And it led to um, some realizations that the reverse logistics of EV batteries is quite tricky, and there needs to be some player that um, can manage all the logistics, but also manage the risks involved of buying and, and trading used batteries. So that, was, that led up to me um, founding Kling in 2020. And since we've uh, grown to be a quite um, quite amazing team, and with that said, I'm just going to leave it over to, to Eden here. Yeah, thank you, William. <laughs> and yeah, just to echo uh, what William said, it's, it's really great to be a, a guest on, such an early guest on the podcast. Uh, I joined Kling from a company called Brunswick Group, which was an advisory firm or is an advisory firm. And I was there for almost nine years, most of which in London. Uh, so doing quite a lot of transactions, that kind of work, deals, M&A, um, but also moved to Sweden with Brunswick in 2020. Uh, and in my time at Brunswick, uh, had some you know really great clients uh, and a lot of which were in energy and uh, some of the names of companies like BHP, uh, National Grid, uh, BP, um, but also Arm Holdings. So like energy and tech was always a kind of intersection. That was something that, you know, captivated me. Uh, and in mid-2021, I was kind of quite keen to see what else is out there and came across Kling and William uh, on, a, on a website just for Swedish startups. And uh, the idea, as it was then, of a of a marketplace, B2B marketplace for lithium-ion batteries was was so intuitive, I just couldn't stop thinking about it <laughs> so after I read about it. So I just mm -hmm. repeatedly messaged William and went for a coffee and kept up the correspondence, um, you know, with very long winding emails. <laughs> and uh, It was funny, like looking back, your, your emails before starting were, you know, pages. Yeah. <laughs> pages on like, hey, I thought about this, have you thought about that? I just read this, I yeah. just read that. Um, and I'm going to shamelessly quote JFK's Rice University speech here about choosing to go to the moon, not because it's easy, because it's hard and, and wanting to build something in the spirit of that. So that's my, um, yeah, that's my uh, opening salvo for, the, for this podcast. Terrific. No, that's that's great. And just I want to take one brief step back. I mean, uh, you guys had introduced yourselves, but um, what are your specific roles at Kling? Oh, right. Yeah, of course. Yeah, very important. Uh, so I'm marketing lead. So I'm um, doing marketing and communications, but also helping out, uh, yeah, across the business and, you know, uh, whether that's, um, yeah, customer interactions, trading activity, new business generation. So, um, it's something we all do actually quite a lot of is, is yeah, seeking out customers and interesting parties to, to work with, um, or trade with. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, okay. we're, we're all pretty much all over the, the place. Um, I'm the CEO and founder. And looking into everything from marketing to sales to operations to navigating the top of the pyramid, right? Regulation. Understood. <laughs> yeah. Well, I want to talk about all of that. I want to get your thoughts on regulation, on on the growth of the business, and so again, just to maybe reiterate and be very clear about what Kling is aiming to do and the problems we're aiming to solve. You and I'm just going to try and paraphrase this, and you let me know. Hey, I'm you're off track. You're on track, but. You're sort of you're trying to create a marketplace that allows 
could be battery manufacturers, could be anyone along the lithium-ion supply chain to buy or sell lithium-ion batteries, electric vehicle lithium-ion batteries, so large format. And so the idea here is to um, get rid of the friction in the supply chain, uh, make logistics more straightforward, uh, and pricing transparency, I think, is something that the entire lithium-ion supply chain has always really suffered from. So that's my view. Why don't you tear that apart and say, hey, Chris, you know what? You're on the right track, or here are some other ways to think about that. Hey, Chris, you're on the right right track, but here's one way to think about it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Thank you for coming today. See you next week. No, go ahead. Um, no, you're you're um, completely right. Um, some some edits to that is that we're also looking at scooter batteries. Um, there's immediate supply of used batteries today. I'm looking for for being recycled or reused, um, as well as stationary storage. Um, we're not really we're not confined to any geographic area, um, so we do see both supply of used batteries and demand for used batteries, whether that is recycling or or second life. Um, from from over 20 countries now, um, all over the world, it's both Asia, um, Africa, Europe, of course. Um, U.S., South America. Um, so, so the idea is that we really are building the necessary, all, all necessary infrastructure for for closing the loop of batteries, and it's everything from from the trading aspects and and distributing the risk among sellers and buyers, um, but also um, finding batteries for recyclers, um, finding batteries for repurposers, making it very easy for them to access. An otherwise very um, fragmented supply, where end of life batteries reach, reach that state, um, you know, either at local small car dismantlers, or or collection systems, or elsewhere. Um, and what do you? What's growing faster? Sorry to interrupt you, but just as you mentioned, supply and demand. I mean, from from the perch that you're sitting on. What's growing faster, the supply of end-of-life batteries, or is your phone sort of ringing off the hook with people looking for material to either reprocess or recycle? Um, it's been it's been going back and forth. We've seen months of, mm-hmm. of suppliers saying, "Hey, we got this." Um, we're currently in a in a in a phase where it's definitely more on the demand side, where where it's everything from retrofitting companies looking to electrify classic you know, classic cars to building residential storage to CNI um, storage to grid storage um, and everything from recycling. Recycling in here is where I, I think it's going to be very interesting going to the depth with you is um, <laughs> recycling at the moment is starting to pick up serious demand um, and uh, we're seeing it quite difficult for them to compete price-wise with second life players. And interesting. Um, yeah, so currently demand side driven. Okay, that's that's great. Now, and I do want to get into those details with you because I feel like there's this uh, increasingly uh, loud debate mm-hmm. around which makes more sense: Second Life or recycling. I personally, I think there's probably room for both. Um, but again, just with my background, I've done so much more on the recycling side that maybe I'm predisposed to. Um, wanting to see it work. Mm. But, um, you know, if there's one thing that I have, have learned in my five or six years in the recycling business is that it's a lot harder than it looks. Okay. And I'm not even talking about just the actual physical recycling, but I'm also talking about the logistics. 
And, you know, that is that is one thing that I did want to address with you. Before we do that, though, um, again, just honing in on your business and kind of mm-hmm. laying it out for, you know, how you intend to build it and the problems you're looking to solve. Talk to me a little bit about um, a couple of a couple of concepts that I've read about on your website. And we've chatted about circular asset management, mm-hmm. what that means, how you're how you're sort of creating that or creating that view. Number one. And then number two, this idea of chem to pack. Mm. What is that? What does that solve? And, and how does that position you guys? Should I do the, the circular asset management? Then you can, you can do the chem to pack. I was going to suggest the reverse. <laughs> reverse? Yeah. All right. All right. Sure. Um, Go ahead. So yeah, yeah, circular asset management, it's, it's, um, it's probably best thought of as like a ethos that guides our like outlook and trading activity. Um, but as it's a new market, you know, we, we try and be pretty flexible and sometimes innovative on what the buy side or sell side needs. Um, but there's a few kind of things we should take off within that. And that's um, things like mapping and inventory. So like literally where the batteries are, how they're stored, how many of them are there. Uh, logistics, like as you said, with the difficulties with recycling, like what are the requirements for safe transport? How does this change from country to country? Like what are the customs needed to, for that process to happen? Uh, consolidation, like can existing storage on the sell side or buy side by use, do we need to find other solutions? Um, Another one is dismantling and testing. You know, as your listeners probably will know, like testing is a a big factor, a big success factor for for trades. Um, And then also another one, interesting one for your listeners is, yeah, purely value assessment and capture. Like, how, do, how is the deal structured? How can it be hedged with different flows to Second Life or recycling? How is the risk distributed amongst each participant? And, you know, how do you approach that trade? And then underpinning all of this, which is a segue to chem to pack, I guess, is data management and traceability and and everything that governs that. That's beautiful. Sure. Yeah, covered. Um, I can I just add to that of, of, the, of the circular asset management system, which you can see as any future CRM system, it's going to be a CAM system, um, where where it's really the, the digital, let's say, platform or, or SaaS program or anything along those lines that can help businesses to carry produce responsibility to, uh, to you know, uh, manage their produce responsibility and capture most value, residual value from, from whatever batteries they have. Um, and it faces everything from yeah the actual the ones in possession of the batteries, faces the ones in ownership of the batteries, um, faces the one um, carrying the responsibility for the batteries, and all of these things are usually can be the same company, it can be three different ones, um, as well as logistic companies and uh, um, authorities that you report um, waste numbers to, etc. Cool. And I can maybe okay. go to, All right. to the second camp to pack, or do you have follow-up questions on this one? Yeah, absolutely. No, go ahead, please. The more, the more detail, the better. Um, no, I'm just going to go into the camp to pack and, when, and the reason for what we did yeah. so, um, or create that. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I, when I was at Northvolt, or if you take the recycling perspective, um, and as you said, recycling is, a, is not a simple thing. It's very difficult. <laughs> it's, like, it's not a <laughs> magic black box that you put you know, batteries into and outcomes beautifully recycled <laughs> um, raw materials. Um, 
it's a very complex um, system that you that you tune for whatever you want to produce, um, what materials do you want out of it, and then you have to know what materials do you put into it. And if you look to source batteries from a from a market where batteries reach end of life at you know a lot, you know tens of thousands of small players, um, then you need to know first of all where are they, but you need to know what's inside these batteries. Um, there's different chemistries in almost all different batteries out there. And there's different sure. you know, weights of cobalt and manganese, copper, aluminium, um, and, you know, all the rest. Um, and if you don't know, then you can't really fine-tune your recycling processes for, for doing that. So, And it's the same case, really, for, for a second-life player. You want to know what's the capacity, what's the voltage, what's the even the dimensions, what's the weight so we can, you know, optimize uh, logistics. Um, and to enable, let's say, more transparency or perhaps just more insights into into the sourcing mechanisms of, of um, recyclers or repurposers, we've built a, a chem-to-pack battery database. And what we mean with that is that We've mapped most of the electric vehicle models out there. Currently, it's roughly 1,600. And which battery mm. packs are in those, bat- in, in those what we call applications? An application can be either stationary, um, micromobility, EVs, or any application. Um, then we model which modules are used in those packs and the specifics of, those, of, the, of the modules and which cells are in those modules. And what raw materials are in those cells. Huh. And how are you, how do you do that? I mean, for lack of a better phrase, <laughs> you physically, um, I mean, I, it's kind of a broad question, but, but I mean, are you actually sitting there and, and deconstructing the battery and, and going through it sort of cell by cell or, or module by, is that how you, um, as opposed to sort of word of mouth or something like that? I mean, what is the actual process for getting that level of, of detail and data? I can see how that's incredibly valuable mm-hmm and powerful because, you know, you talked earlier about design for recycling. I think that's one of the biggest challenges right now in the entire lithium ion battery supply chain. You've got a huge number of, to your point, chemistries and cell formats that are already out there in the market, Never mind what's about to happen in the next 10 years. And I think it's fair to say that a lot of what has been um, put into the market say over the last 10 to 15 years is not designed for recycling. And I've seen instances where I've seen batteries and I've seen modules that, you know, labels have been ripped off or smeared and, you know, you don't know what's in there. And to your point, you don't know state of health, you know, has this battery been abused? Has it been um, unused? I don't know. There's a lot of different ways to think about it. So um, I guess coming back to the original question, how do you how do you go about getting that that granular level of data? Are you literally deconstructing batteries in 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 house? Um, let's say it's three sources of of data. The first one is online. Um, the let's say the open source DIY community have done a, a beautiful job of um, uh, dismantling videos online. But there's also a lot of other resources to 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 pull from. Um, let's say it's not 100% accurate, but it gives you a pretty good idea of what's probably inside. Uh, okay. Secondly, it's from the it's from the OEMs or fleet operators. Um, for for uh, for every 
you know major trade that we do towards OEMs. We we get the full the MSDS. We get the full data sheets, and um, that is just directly um, uploaded to to the structure. And finally, okay. perhaps the one the one that scales most, where we don't need to have you know plenty of people sitting and researching the internet and putting it into a nice structure, um, is where sellers and um, yeah definitely sellers uh, when they list the batteries they're requested to list most of this uh, information if we haven't if we don't have them so what you do when you register a new battery uh, you just don't take any type of battery you have on on site but you kind of first create a um, a full data sheet and then you upload a number of those batteries so it's a way for to kind okay. of scale that or make it more um, crowdsourced based on, on the sellers actually uploading batteries. And then, actually the fourth one, perhaps enabled by the European Union and soon the US would be battery passports um, and you know whatever their data exchange system will be. Um, we'll see how, how transparent the OEMs and others will actually be. Um, but we're, mm-hmm. we're definitely already capable of handling the data that would come from the transparency of new regulations. Got it. Understood. Okay. And so that makes, I can understand that model and that makes a lot of sense. And I, I see sort of where you sit in the supply chain. I mean, without getting into, you know, a lot of detail around the economics of your business, I mean, how are you, how are you generating revenue? Are you structuring Eden? You kind of talked about a lot of, um, thinking through logistics and structuring kind of relationships between buyers and sellers. I mean, is it something where you have a relationship with a given battery producer and you have some sort of a financial agreement there, or are you doing things on a per battery or a per ton basis? I mean, how exactly do you generate revenue given your current model? Should I take this? Yeah. yeah. (laughs) (laughs) The complexity of the question is appropriate for Williams (laughs) to take this I don't know if it's really the complexity. Well, how, I'll, make, I'll make the question simple. I'll make it real yeah, simple. How do you make, how do you make the cash yeah, register yeah. ring? Uh, right? No, but it's various different ways. Currently, it's pretty much a trading business. Um, it's arbitrage. We we buy and we sell. So applying working capital. So we know um, basically what batteries are worth and, and trying to make a margin on that. Going forward, um, when we're now starting into um, piloting and working much closer to the OEMs, um, in in uh, managing their collection systems and their warranty and, and other takebacks, um, it's it's probably going to be much more of a uh, transaction fee, um, a, an agreed upon percentage of the uh, transacted value. And then as the system itself is going to be, it's really what's going to scale. We're not going to be able to trade all the you know millions of batteries of various different sizes and sizes and you know types and flows um uh, so so it's it's what the let's say the platform is going to solve which is going to become more mm-hmm. of a SaaS product which is going to have its own revenues so those are the three ones and we'll see what other um interesting um data type of revenues are going to be added on top of that uh, but at the moment is is very much a simple trading business Terrific. Okay, great. And you, this, that was a great answer because you led right into my next question, which is, again, um, thinking about your, your model and your business and the value that you can bring to your customers. I'm, I'm thinking about price discovery. 
Okay, obviously there's, in my view, there's been a lack of price discovery along the lithium ion supply chain. What is one ton of LFT <laughs> worth, right? I mean, you ask five people that question and you're likely to get five different numbers depending upon where they are on the supply chain. And of course, you know, you have to think about the actual values of the metals in the battery, right? And, and there's a lot that goes into it is all I'm saying. So, you know, the question that I think is, is a follow-up William, to your your statement there is, how do you approach price discovery? In other words, how do you determine what a battery is worth? Because I think once you once you determine that, then you can use that as kind of a negotiating um, tactic, for lack of a better phrase. You know, we you're saying here's the value that we bring, and we think that this ton of batteries is worth something, and you negotiate that. So how do you how do you view price discovery, and how do you just determine value for for either scrap or end-of-life packs? It's a very good question, and I agree. If you ask anyone, there's, it's going to be a unique offer or ask price. Um, one way we do that is having you know, hundreds of sellers and hundreds of buyers, and we have plenty of bids, and we can fairly well understand at least the ranges of what a typical model would be based off. But there's other ways to come about this, which will probably, you know, it does help us navigating the negotiations, which is, let's say, the recycling value. It, you know, there's, there are markets. If you look at the LME market, um, uh, you, ha you have prices for the raw materials. And then all you have to understand is mm -hmm. what's the cost of recycling and the logistic costs. Um, and the other one for, for repurposing would be how, what's, the, what's the price of new batteries? So what's the price of a stationary storage system if it was coming from a new, um, like from, from First Life? The, the issue here is that even if you look at the stationary storage prices for First Life, it's it's a massive range um, from from uh, from depending on from where they are and for what application and, and so on. So I'll be I think it's going to be another few years before there's any you know general idea of this is what a you know Second Life battery is worth. Mm -hmm. um, maybe the ones going to push for. Um, you know, really wanting to understand that is going to be banks and other financial institutions um, investing into uh, fleets where they need to know the potential or the probably the residual value in X years. Um, so we're in some cases, you know, discussing with with those type of companies on like what would be the price of their fleet in three years, which is very difficult to do. Got it. What about, so again, kind of keying off of pricing here and, and everything, I mean, for your customers or potential customers to, to engage with you, I mean, what are the incentives that you need to put in place? I mean, are you going out to a potential, um, maybe there's a seller out there and you say, look, Turner, we have a captive audience of say hundreds of buyers of your potential material. I mean, what are the incentives that you are, um, laying out to your potential customer base to encourage them to transact through you as opposed to maybe one of your competitors or sort of a traditional model. Should I continue or? Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, <laughs> you're so polite. Yeah, so you're, you're too British. It's <laughs> tough on it. Um, <laughs> uh, um, I'm going to do half and we'll see where, okay. where you're yeah, going to yeah. fill in, in my blanks where I'm probably going to miss some. Um, one is, if you look on the seller side, it's we, we market the same battery towards many different type of buyers uh, because of the this cam to pack model 
we can market the same batteries, recycling mm-hmm. and second life and repurposers. And whether they're interested in the, in the cells or in the modules or in the packs or in the raw materials, um, it gives them a more fair uh, market price. And uh, the other one, and, and why go through us is really the compliance and transparency and uh, let's say traceability. Um, there are passports potentially maybe coming in a year now. Um, and um, well, we, we just you wrote up a beautiful piece on on the um, on, on the passports just last week. Maybe you can talk yeah. about that. Uh, so the the contrarian and us thinks that you know passports <laughs> need uh, there's obviously there's lots of work being done towards battery passports and and by all the members of the um, people mm-hmm. doing that. But uh, the contrarian us thinks that you know passports they need passport controllers to check for authenticity. And so far, what what has has been uh, explained in the pilot is that the the data that was part of that was. Uh, I think their quote realistic rather than real data. So, you know, we we view our position in the supply chain as like being able to provide real data, which is in the form of invoices that we that we trade with. So, like invoices, right, from Kling or from another company. You know, it's a it's, it's a big market. There's there's lots of room for for lots of people to to do this. Uh, is the real passport for for batteries at end of life rather than uh, this this uh, thing which has been done by a committee of the great and the good, but it's still done by, designed by committee. Okay, terrific. And just as a brief aside to the listeners, what we'll do maybe after this, if you can send me that link to mm. that that piece you wrote, we'll put it in the show notes. And, and similarly, William, for your thesis as well that you talked about earlier, I'd love to link to that as well. Ooh. And so we'll do that. Sure. Um, <laughs> All right. And so so understanding the incentives, battery passports, just again, more broadly, kind of a, a second follow up question here. How how prepared is the industry? How prepared is the lithium ion battery supply chain for reuse or recycling? I mean, I can remember a couple of years ago, you know, just speaking about raw materials, you couldn't give lithium away, right? You couldn't give cobalt away. And now it's a completely different paradigm. It's a completely different market. Um, the It looks like you know we're going to see pretty solid demand just for the metals out over the course of this decade. And I think a lot of OEMs in particular, automotive OEMs, have been caught flat-footed with the investments they're making today, certainly in upstream, um, should have been made five years ago. And that's one of the reasons why we have sixty or $70,000 lithium. Mm-hmm. Um, whether or not that remains in place, we can chat about that maybe. But nevertheless, my point is, in my view, you know, what has happened along the lithium ion supply chain globally is it's been a real shock to the system. And so having said that, again, from where you sit in between buyers and sellers of these materials, is the industry prepared or is there just going to be a lot more volatility, say, in the next three, five, seven years? What are your thoughts there? Yeah, and it's 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 probably best to take a quite a regional approach to this because there are blocks emerging um and us like with the commendably with with the inflation reduction act um has provided a degree of certainty for like quite substantial amounts of capital to to go in on on recycling mm-hmm. and reuse is taking place and there's some really you know cool sites up and running but probably i guess from a capital point of view like n- not nearly as on the same scale um and 
And yet you can compare that to uh, Europe, which is well prepared in that the, the legislative framework is, if not finalized, then almost finalized. Um, and, you know, is setting up, you know, a degree of certainty for recycling and reuse, um, you know, quite a big contrast on the, the amount of capital influx on, into that uh, and supply, su- yeah, su- simply security of supply is also a limiting factor if you're setting up a, a hub and spoke operation in Europe and you want, you know, a lot of supply for your recycling site, you're, you're, it's going to be difficult to find it. Uh, and then you contrast that to Asia, which is you know for for lots of those places like korea far ahead, far ahead right? really far ahead yeah. relative to the rest yeah. of the world um sure. and clusters of excellence really and and um in some cases like for a long long time and uh, so yeah energy security and so and security of supply is the is the um envelope for all of that i think uh and actually you, you mentioned as well the the um the difficulty of yeah, how OEMs have considered or perceived uh, supply in the upstream. And uh, I thought Joe Lowry's article on a while ago, I think it was last year around virtual reality supply, you know, like hit the nail on the head. <laughs> like, you know, I know he's really blunt in, 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 his, in his treatment of this subject. And yeah, that's, um, yeah, that's something that is, uh, yeah, very, very relevant here, I think. What's your take, Chris? Uh, yeah, well, look, I sort of tipped my tip my hat or tip my cap or whatever the phrase is um, in my question. I, I think that um, outside of China, um, we've got a lot of catching up to do, right, uh, with respect to the build out of the lithium ion supply chain in particular. I mean, I do think that, you know, it's it's encouraging to see General Motors commit six hundred and fifty million dollars to helping to build out the Lithium Americas, the Thacker Pass project in uh, mm. Nevada mm. here in the United States. Again, that's a few years down the road. The point is, you know, the demand is here. The demand is today. Um, so the capital that's being deployed today really, generally speaking, isn't going to see um, isn't going to see much of a result, in my view, for the next three to five years, quite simply because supposing you've got permitting in place, supposing you've done economic studies, uh, whether or not it's for new mines or recycling facilities, it's going to take you three or so years to just actually physically build the mine, build the processing plant, get it commissioned, get it up and running and work out the kinks. And I would probably lean more towards a five year view on that as opposed to three. I think three would be um, probably an accurate time frame for a brownfields site, you know, a brownfield mine, something like that. I think one of the interesting things about everything that we're sort of talking about today, and you guys know this as well as I do, is that that that's the simple phrase battery grade mm-hmm. means different things to different people. And so you have this fragmented supply chain where logistics are a question mark. You've got multiple chemistries and, and lithium ion battery chemistry continues to evolve. You know, I mean, it, now I'm I'm hearing and seeing things of cathode formulations being mixed so mm-hmm. it's not just lfp it's not just nmc i'm seeing seeing emerging of that and so you know again coming back to how you price that how you transport it and then on the recycling side how you how you recycle material in a very dynamic market i think is um a question that is not yet solved not yet answered perhaps in china 
where again, you know, you've got the majority of the recycling capacity and the recycling um, IP, for lack of a better phrase. I think they are, you know, ahead of the game, and I think it's going to stay that way, and that's totally fine because, you know, as a Western company, I don't think you necessarily want to go into China and try and build your own recycling or reuse business. You'd be sort of like the the twelfth man on an eleven man team, whereas you can set up an operation in the EU or in North America. And it's not the wild west, but it's, it's much less developed. And I think, look, we all understand, um, the size of the prize for lack of a better phrase, right? I think the growth is, is defensible and, and sustainable. And so, um, I just think that there are a lot of these issues that we need to think through and, and it's going to take a number of years to, to build them out. I think logistics, is a huge issue. I mean, lithium ion batteries are, I think, legally classified, certainly here in North America, uh, arguably in the EU as well, but I'm pretty sure lithium ion batteries are hazardous materials, right? I mean, I think that's how they're categorized. And so that means you can't just throw it in a truck and assume it's going to go from A to B, right? You have to package them a certain way. To your Mm -hmm. point earlier about the dismantling and the diagnosis, it's just a a very, very tricky um, process that is is not yet solved and so therein lies part of the opportunity but um, do you think yeah i think that with the place with with the most ip and and knowledge with scaled businesses and operations in in asia and 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 the whereabouts when are they coming to europe because we're already now seeing um big players setting up sites here that are already paying for for used batteries in europe for recycling when they don't even have and operations, but they can out, they can already outcompete European recyclers, despite not even having facilities think, here. Yeah, I think I think that's challenging. And if it wasn't for this kind of geopolitical tussle between the U.S. and China, I think you'd see more Asian quote unquote Asian influence in the battery supply chain here in the United States. I mean, you know, CATL, some of the major Chinese players, to your point, are already in the EU and are building building a footprint, for lack of a better phrase. And, and here in, in North America, in the United States, I know Ford and CATL have talked about building a plant um, somewhere, you know, to be determined. Again, there was, I think, some geopolitical issues that got in the way there. I know the governor of Virginia um, basically said that Ford and CATL were not welcome to build any operation in the state of Virginia because he views CATL as, I think, a front for the CCP. I'm not going to go down that road. I'm simply saying this is this is the the, the sensitivity. This is the one thing, anti-China sentiment, mm. okay, and technology access is um, about the only thing that we can agree on here in Washington D.C. from a Republican or a Democratic perspective. Um, and you know, it's only been sort of amplified lately with the balloon that we just shot down off the coast mm. of South Carolina. Um, Again, I don't want to get too far off track about what we're talking about today, but my point is the following. Um, I I think you will ultimately see, let's say, non-Chinese Asian battery manufacturers here in the United States from a from a recycling perspective. I mean, obviously, LG is already here. SK Innovation Mm -hmm. is partnered with Ford. Um, The only the only recycler that I'm aware of here in the U.S. of any significant scale is uh, Sung Eel. And they have talked about building about a 30,000 ton a year facility in the state of Georgia. Again, early days. 
Um, are they pretty much in and, Hungary? You know, or do you know? Possibly, yeah. They are. Feels like everyone is going. To they are. They have a. They have a significant footprint. So it's South Korea, and they have a significant footprint in the EU. Mm-hmm. And you know, again, um, even to your point about the Inflation Reduction Act, that has completely, um, I, I would say, forced all companies, not just U.S.-based companies, but companies in South Korea, companies in the EU, to think very carefully about where they set up their battery infrastructure, because it is when you really like sit down and try and parse through the 730 pages of the Inflation Reduction Act and say, okay, what do the economics actually look like? It's very, very attractive to build recycling facilities, build gigafactories over here. Um, but again, a lot of that underpins, I think, where where you think metals prices are going to be in the future as well, because that obviously will, will drive economics. So um, that's my... That's my soapbox on on how I think things are going to play out. I again, it's a huge market, uh, whether or not we're talking about recycling or or Second Life. And, and maybe just to bring this back, I mean, um, I understand where you guys sit in the business model. But, uh, you know, do you have a favorite? I mean, what are your thoughts on recycling versus Second Life? What do you think is is realistic out over the next, say, 10 years in the West, let's ignore what's going on in China, right? Um, but what's realistic over the next sort of 10 years? Do you think it makes sense, given everything we've talked about, geopolitical challenges, pricing volatility? Um, is Second Life a better option relative to recycling? I think there's many answers here. And mm-hmm. where I'm coming from is is there's not one answer here. It, it's very much situa- situation based. Um, some batteries should definitely go to recycling immediately because they can be recycled, provide raw materials for new production eventually, um, and they're not really bringing a lot of value into a, another another usage. But some batteries you can see definitely brings a lot of value in just being used for a longer period of time, and specifically in a in just providing more energy storage very quickly um, in Europe at the moment. There's a very interesting energy, energy crisis around here now, and we just need more energy storage like in, today. We can do it tomorrow right. as well, but like, not, <laughs> not much further. Um, and, and why Second Life batteries are interesting is, um, first of all, they come at a price discount towards new ones, but they're also available immediately. There's no lead times um and and shipping times there's you, you can buy them and you'll have them in in next week in your facilities and and that's one of the i believe you know one of the benefits of second life batteries and then yeah you want jazz yeah uh and i guess from a trading point of view um second life batteries it's a re- it's a really interesting trade you know you, you're dealing with like much smaller volumes so some very interesting companies on the on the buy side um you're doing really innovative things and uh with recycling is is big volumes and the big volumes lead to the economics of it working out but it's it's a lot mm-hmm. of fun for us like picking up these these packs or modules and and helping out customers on the buy side who yeah it could be small startup based in france or based in the uk or or based um anywhere really in the world and and helping them yeah 
fill, fill their need. Whereas recycling is possibly more understood or more of a known entity. Whereas Second Life is, I guess, from my own perspective, is it's it's there's a lots of lots of nuances and it's it's really it's really a lot of fun helping out these companies. You can also mention that you know many argue that you know 80% is the threshold maybe some can go down to 75% state of health for for repurposing right. second life we're currently um, you know have an ongoing deal which is quite significant but where where it's you know closer to 65% state of health um, where we see demand for second life where they can rebuild those batteries into um, stationary storage that will already have you know value so so i think it looks like batteries will be able to be reused for a much longer period of time. You can go much deeper into state of health or much lower than previously thought. Do you think that's going to affect raw material demand? How? Well, as an example, let's just say and we're all, we've all got the forecasts and I mean, my own personal take lithium for an ex example. I think by 2030, you're looking at a situation where lithium demand, this is on a lithium carbonate equivalent basis, is around 2.8 million tons per year, up from around, I don't know, 700,000 tons last year. Do you think that, I guess what I'm trying to, this is sort of what we struggle with in the recycling or second life business. It's like how, how big and how impactful can second life be and can that cut into uh, raw material demand? And so I guess the question is, you know, would, would you see Second life. In other words, if if eighty percent state of health is is no longer the floor, right? If sixty five percent or sixty percent state of health is the new floor, again, to your point, based on uh, the end use, I mean, do you do you see that kind of impacting raw material demand at all, or do you, maybe you don't have a view on that because I know well, you well, focus on, slight, on a little bit uh, different different part of the supply chain, yeah, but very small impact because um, yeah. you know they would go into stationary storage, which relative to mobility is already quite small. Um, and put, putting second, it's it's relatively a very quite small market um, compared to putting new batteries on, on the roads. Um, so so when, you, when you choose between reuse or recycle, reuse re decreases dema the demand for, um, for producing new batteries. And recycling decreases the demand for digging up more raw materials. Currently, we just need more more of everything, so it's uh, yeah. We just need more more of basically more of everything. So it, it's definitely not going to decrease sure. the demand of just you know, creating new mines or or putting more more lithium on the market. Sure. Now let me let me ask kind of a. We'll finish up with a couple of broad sort of macro questions, okay? I mean, you know, we, Eden, based on your time at Brunswick and now coming to Kling and and William, you were at Northvolt and and you founded Kling, um, so you've seen a lot, right? Even in the last few years, I mean, so much has happened. It's a very dynamic market. What has surprised you about this push around electrification around um, the proliferation mm. of the lithium-ion battery. What has surprised you about this move? Yeah, um, I think a really interesting one is it's how delicate and quickly an advantage held by a country, we just take it at a country level, can kind of disappear. So like, you know, the UK, um, sorry, the US had really quite mm. commendable progress in lithium-ion, um, you know, back in the day. And then 
surrendered that lead in some ways to 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 China, uh, and you know that 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 is, I guess, could happen you know to any country. So it's it's really, it's it's a precious, it's a precious lead to try and maintain. Um, and then yeah, really you have to tip your hat in some way to the to the government to the CCP for for creating the conditions for success, um, and you know for allowing that momentum to build. Um, and then also, I guess another surprise would be the hype cycle of automation and how it hasn't really delivered the results that everyone expected it to yet. Um, and I would conclude on also uh, Tesla's profit margins. <laughs> I saw the infographic and it's like, yeah. wow. And there's some, you know, big brand names who are, who are not making nearly as much money as them. Um, and and also uh, another one I was, I was I would put into this is yeah just the the cost uh, of water per ton for lithium to create lithium you know it's it's a lot of water um, which is yeah. an argument that is yeah lends itself to circularity. Um, sure, yeah. let me let me jump in with what William. I want to hear from you, but Eden, you know, you talked about the hype cycle, and again, I've been focused on. The battery business for the last 12 years and i feel like there's always there's always another i i have a, a google alert set up for um lithium ion battery breakthrough or something <laughs> like that something like that right and then literally every week there's this new um spray painted graphene battery that has thirty thousand cycles and you know etc 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 and you know a couple of news articles will be written about it and um then a week later, you never hear about it. Yeah. You never hear about it again. And it's because, to your point, I think it takes 10, 12, 15 years to commercialize a lot of this technology. And, you know, one of the things, the reason why I interjected was to tell that story, but I wanted to get your thoughts on the impact of not so much the hype, but how are, are you using or do you anticipate using artificial intelligence or machine learning to... Uh, catalog batteries to better identify batteries for your customers? I mean, is it something that you use today that you're thinking about using or um, to your point, Eden, it's just hype and, you know, it's out there, but it's not really impactful. I can maybe just uh, quickly add on the on the hype cycle around that. Um, sure. I think we both agree that the, the number of players who can actually recycle batteries um, into something useful is a lot fewer than the ones who say they, they can. I don't know what's your... How many fingers? <laughs> I'm not going to put any exact numbers, but how many fingers, how many, <laughs> how many fingers would you have? Zero. Zero. Uh, I don't think I have you fingers. Have fingers. Uh, not no. yet. Dep it dep to your point, it depends. Yeah. depends what we're talking yeah. about. Um, anyways, recycling. go ahead. I'm sorry. Is battery grade or not? Um, mm -hmm. and is it mm -hmm. even, you know, is it creating black mass or, or, or something else? Um, uh, yeah, so, so the marketing and, and, and you know, grabbing market shares or you know taking a market position it has been so important for every single player here that it, it on paper we can recycle all batteries on the planet and way more but in practice we can't um and it, it makes it first of all really difficult to plan anything because if you're looking at you know planning ahead of what do you do with your used batteries are you going to put on the market as a as a as a carrier of producer responsibility um it's going to be it's going to be tricky when you after all, then stand there with all of the all the batteries on your site, and then you look for solutions, and there's no solutions. So you stand there, 
with you know years of accumulated batteries and you fill up you know massive storage uh storages for for those batteries and um mm -hmm. that's i think it's just shooting the markets in the foot somehow of of saying that it's so progressive everything is so beautiful we can recycle batteries to 90 99% and all the, all these raw materials can be put back into new cells and it's going to be amazing and then when you when you actually you know offer and then you know want to send invoices and actually really get to recycling then then it's a whole other discussion so i hope the marketing uh, departments can move closer to the operational floor seeing actually well, I, i think your question yeah i didn't mean to interrupt but i think your question around what a recycler can do uh will be answered you know and it'll be answered within the next couple of years because there's so much capital coming into that part of the market i mean just yesterday as we're recording here on friday um i don't even know what date it is the 10th of, of february you know yesterday the department of energy here in the united states awarded redwood a two billion yeah. dollar uh yeah. loan which is terrific don't get me wrong i'm happy to see it but um you know you've got to negotiate that loan you've got to put it to work and william to your point redwood has to show their customers and show the rest of the world that hey you know what we can actually hit these recovery rates and 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 um produce produce the battery materials and the cathode materials in there yeah. in their and, um, and maybe it's a maybe it's a very anyways. good thing that they've marketed themselves as being able to doing what you know to actually recycle I because agree. it has flooded I agree. Uh, you know, I think a lot of capital into the into them so it's it's a lot of capital and you know I think that recyclers I just don't think you can be a one trick pony mm -hmm. if you know what I mean in other words you just if you're a recycler and that's all you do that's terrific you know very happy to see it but you've got to have sort of a plan B or an addition to the business model so just to summarize maybe because we've talked about a lot what do you think what are the major roadblocks to wider electrification and and let's tie in cling here what are the major roadblocks to you really scaling and and growing your business so major roadblocks for cling having a fortress balance sheet <laughs> which is which is the outcome we all want um no just uh and yeah yeah i'd put us firmly in the in the uh, electrification you know bucket umbrella however you want to call it but Uh, parity with internal combustion engines that's obviously the one of the big things that needs to happen globally um you know no matter where you look really uh cost parity i should say uh and then we are i think we've yeah we've spoken about it in this episode but we are very realistic on the need for for more supply in the upstream and you know that really does mean mines and the permitting for those mines and for those things to progress to completion and scaling up um which is a very difficult process. Uh, and also uh, e EVs, are, yeah, they're a, they're a luxury item in, in many places or a middle-class item in many places. And they, that needs to change really to, to yeah, for the affordability to, um, to come down. And yeah, I guess also related to that, which is a big picture change that needs to happen is charging infrastructure, which is a whole realm unto itself but uh the charging infrastructure for electrification at scale is an immensely complex and difficult uh, and expensive thing to achieve but definitely does need to happen it has also. to happen right and yeah william yeah. what about the company where how do we you know 
build the next billion dollar, you know, Swedish brand? How do you compete with Spotify? Hmm. <laughs> um, Spotify was really good at early attracting like brilliant talent. And if you look at, at the electrification market and circularity market, the market is going to be there. And if you look at the, the, the capital being infused into it, um, it's going to be there as well. The, the trick here is, is to attract the talent, attract the people. And on this point, it's, it's really cool to see how, let's say, the sustainable you know, part of, of, of any industry is attracting and pulling people from, from elsewhere. Um, we, have, we have on our team people coming in from a lot of other really cool industries that used to be you know, the sexy tech companies from Spotify, for example. Um, and from Brunswick and, and being a, a, a very, a very you know, cool PR consultant, um, as well as uh, on our advisory board of, of having um, advisors working half time at our company, it was previously the, the you know, very high up senior uh, vice president at, at BP on a global scale and, and the managing director in Sweden. Like it pulls talents from, from let's say, the dirty, <laughs> the dirty world. And, and I, I believe it's it's so it's in, it's very inspiring. It's a lot of so so uh, it gives me and I think the rest of the team so much energy to see the type of applicants we we get and the people we engage with who are so interested in actually doing something good. Um, to to scale that up on a global level, I think it's gonna uh, almost. Um, uh, be it's probably the key enabler for. For, for for going to a very big business and we're in a good pretty good good track on yeah. on having extremely talented people right and right. get in touch <laughs> yeah. Yeah. well speaking of that just to wrap up how can anyone listening to this how can they learn more about cling how can they reach out to you yeah so uh just go on our website uh clingsystems.com uh, we're all pretty active on linkedin as well uh and yeah that's a, the best way message us um pick up the phone uh, you're happy to chat, whether it's you know, trading or, or hiring or yeah, just exchange, exchange views on the market. You know, there's so much going on, so it's always it's always good for us to keep our ear to the ground. We're also a pretty remote working team, uh, mostly based in Stockholm, but we have people all over the world um, because of remote working is so easy today. So. Terrific. All right. Well, listen, yeah. William and Eden, thank you very much for your time. This has been a terrific conversation. I appreciate it. Yeah, thank you so much, Chris. Thank you, Chris. Thanks. Yeah, it's really great to, to talk. This episode of The Power Current with Chris Berry is not to be used as investment advice. It is for informational purposes only. The Power Current, its parent company, Clear Commodity Network, our guests and affiliates are not responsible for any loss arising from any investment decisions please speak to a licensed financial advisor before making any investment decisions.